This morning, congregation, uh, we would turn your attention, first of all, to the reading of Holy Scripture. This morning, we'll be reading a passage that you can find in Galatians 2. Uh, we'll begin at verse 11, and we'll read through verse 21 in your pew Bible. You can find that on page 1,338. After we read from the Holy Bible, we'll also read from one of our confessional articles, which we believe faithfully summarize the Word of God, the Belgic Confession, Article 23. In your Forms and Prayers book, you can find that on page 177. We deal this morning as we follow the exposition of the Belgic Confession with that truth, that doctrine, that reality which we call, which Scripture calls, justification by faith. We read then from Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Hear now the word of God. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Thus far this morning, our reading from the Word of God. We then turn to Article 23 that is entitled, uh, the justification of sinners. We believe that our blessedness lies in the forgiveness of our sins because of Jesus Christ, and that in it our righteousness before God is contained. As David and Paul teach us when they declare that man blessed to whom God grants righteousness apart from works. And the same apostle says that we are justified freely or by grace through redemption in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we cling to this foundation, which is firm forever, giving all glory to God, humbling ourselves, and recognizing ourselves as we are, not claiming a thing for ourselves or our merits, and leaning and resting only on the obedience of Christ crucified, which is ours when we believe in Him. That is enough to cover all our sins and to make us confident, freeing the conscience from the fear, dread, and terror of God's approach without doing what our first father, Adam, did, who trembled as he tried to cover himself with fig leaves. In fact, if we had to appear before God, relying, no matter how little, on ourselves or some other creature, 
then alas, we would be swallowed up. Therefore, everyone must say with David, Lord, do not enter into judgment with your servants, for before you no living person shall be justified. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think all of us would agree that relationships are vital to human life. Uh, it is an inescapable reality of human life that we live in a variety of relationships. So you can think of being born into the relationship with your parents. Uh, and then perhaps when you came to the years of your 20s or maybe 30s, many of us entered into a most vital relationship of marriage. Uh, there is the relationship of extended family. And all of these relationships are an inescapable reality of human life. And if we look, relationships often bring us a great joy and great blessings within our life. You can think of the joy that comes with the establishment of a relationship with the birth of a child, the joy of the parents, the joy of the grandparents, perhaps even if God has been gracious to us, uh, the joy of great-grandparents. Uh, but we also know by way of experience that relationships can have their difficulties. The establishment of relationships and the maintenance of peace within those relationships, the friction that can exist, uh, and sadly, the breaking of relationships are an all too often common phenomenon within human life. I would submit to you this morning that the greatest relationship with which we must deal is the relationship not on a horizontal level, although those certainly are important as well, but the greatest relationship is the relationship that you and I, that we have with Almighty God. And I would submit to you this morning on the basis of Scripture uh, that the establishment of a peaceful relationship between ourselves and our God is the most vital aspect of life. And it's the most important aspect of life, especially when we view life from its end point. When we view life from that moment in which all of us, unless the Lord returns, will experience. When we view life from that moment in which life in its current physical aspect slips away and we enter into eternity, then we see the importance of that relationship between ourselves and Almighty God. Well, how can a peaceful relationship be established between ourselves and God? That's the essence of the question that deals with justification. To put it this way, how can I be right with God? How can I be good with God? How, how can the relationship between me and God be one of peace, be one of favor? All of this brings us to this theological topic or truth or reality of justification by faith. Now, we want to consider that this morning, underneath this theme, our belief concerning justification. And just to get our minds around this word, this term, justification, which you'll notice is a very scriptural term used repeatedly all throughout the New Testament, but especially by the Apostle Paul. And you see it's used... Uh, especially in verse 16 of our text, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Justification uh, has been 
defined by the late P. Whitey Young as that legal or judicial act of God. So as we begin to think about what justification is, the first thing that we ought to write down in our minds and in our hearts and perhaps on our notes is that justification is something that God does. It's not something that I do. It's not something that the church does. It's not something that the elders of the church do. It's not something that a pope does or a priest does. But justification is something that God alone does. And it's something that God does by a legal declaration. So God declares, God says that a person is justified. It's a legal or judicial act whereby God as judge declares the sinner righteous for Christ's sake. As we unfold that theme, we'll notice that our belief concerning justification includes an essential blessedness. And then secondly, a continual reliance. And then thirdly, a resulting confidence. So our belief concerning justification, an essential blessedness, a continual reliance, and a resulting confidence. Based upon the authority of the Holy Scriptures, we believe that our most essential blessedness is found in the fact that by faith we are justified. And when we use the word essence, we mean that which is at the very heart, the very center of the entire matter of religion or of revelation or of life. If, if you and I could only know one thing, now thanks be to God that we are able to know more than one thing, but if you and I could only know one thing, the most essential, the most vital, the most important thing to know is how can I be right with God? Now, life in this fallen world brings many complexities, many issues, many problems, many concerns. You can think about the past couple of years, you can think about the past couple of weeks, and you can see, perhaps on a global scale, perhaps on a much more local scale, many things that are negative impacts of life under the sun, life in a fallen world. You can think of the last couple of years and of the pandemic uh, of COVID and all the lockdowns and all of the political maneuverings and all of the debate and all of the unrest. And then you can come perhaps uh, much more uh, current and you can think of the unrest at a political national scale, also an international scale. You can read about the reports of what is occurring in Ukraine. You can watch the footage uh, of an innumerable number of refugees. But I would submit to you this morning that that is not mankind's greatest problem. Uh, you can read all the statistics about poverty and about crime and how both are on the increase. All of these certainly are dreadful and ought to be addressed in due course, but that is not humanity's greatest problem. You can visit shut-ins. You can walk down the halls of the memory care units. Uh, you can read of the statistics of mental health issues. All of these are sad and bring a certain breaking of the heart, but this is not mankind's greatest problem. Scripture is very clear. What is humanity's greatest problem? Our sins have separated us from God. Uh, that's the exact uh, reference uh, that the prophets and the psalmist spoke of. You can think of Psalm 130, verse 3, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? 
And the Apostle Paul also in Romans 3 uh, brings this universal declaration that all have sinned and that all fall short of the glory of God. And that's what motivates Isaiah in Isaiah 59 verse 2 to say, uh, our iniquities have separated us from our God and our sins have hidden His face from us. Because the reality of our sin and of our sinfulness, and I recognize these are not the most popular themes even in the church, even in the evangelical church today, but these are the biblical realities that are at the forefront of God's self-revelation. And it's only when we understand the reality of our sin that we then understand our great need for justification and the great wonder of justification. So the result of our sins is that It creates this separation from God, this fear of punishment, this liability of punishment. And so the great question is not necessarily how can we cure all illnesses and eradicate all diseases. The great question is how can I be right with God? Well, only by grace and only through the forgiveness of our sins. It would seem to me, and I have not done any type of scientific study, but it would seem to me uh, that more and more there is a downplaying within the church uh, about the central focus of the forgiveness of sins being at the very heart of the gospel. Now the gospel, the good news of the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ is rather broad in all of its implications. And it is certainly very practical in our day-to-day life. The gospel and its implications addresses how we interact one with another uh, on the home front and in the workplace. You can just read about the household codes and the uh, epistles to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. But at the very heart center of the testimony of the good news of redemption is the forgiveness of sins. And so to ask this question, how can I be right with God? There is closely connected to that is what do I do with my sin? With my thoughts, with my words, with my actions, with my attitudes, with my inclinations, with my desires that are not in line with the moral holiness of God's law. What do I do with my sins? There must be forgiveness. There must be a pardon. There must be uh, an elimination of the guilt of my sins. And this is the essential blessedness. The essential blessedness that there is free forgiveness. And so Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, blessed is he, blessed is he who what? Doesn't have to fear earthly pandemics. Blessed is he who doesn't have to fear uh, the political maneuverings uh, of the leaders of the nations. No, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And then the psalmist continues, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And now certainly we receive many good gifts from God. You can think of health. You can think of material possessions. And we ought to receive them properly for the glory of God. But the most important, the most valuable gift that we can ever receive is the forgiveness of our sins. And if we come into the house of the Lord on Sunday morning, And if it would seem that the entire world is against us, and that providence has dealt, uh, you might say, uh, in a strong way with us, maybe we crawl into the house of the Lord our God, and maybe we can hardly lift up our eyes 
but there's still reason to rejoice knowing that our sins have been forgiven. That's at the very heart, the very essence of what it means to be justified. Uh, Notice in the second point then uh, that this belief concerning justification brings about a continual reliance. Now justification, and and we said again, and we, we, we strive to make these things very clear, the word justification in Scripture, it indicates that God declares in his position of moral judge, God declares a sinner to be right, to be righteous, to be in full conformity of the law. And that declaration is a one-time declaration that is unchangeable or irrevocable. But this reality creates within the heart of the Christian a continual reliance in humility. In humility, because you and I, if we truly know ourselves to some extent, uh, we know that we are continually in need of God's grace. Not that justification is repeated over and over and over, but we recognize, or at least we ought to recognize, in humility, that our only hope is based upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and not the works of our own hands. And you'll still notice that, that that's the contrast uh, that the apostle paints in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. I I draw your attention to this verse just for a moment. Notice the very first word, knowing. Knowing. Emotions are a gift of God. But in this context, it's not our emotions that are addressed. It's not feeling that a man is not justified. It's knowing. Well, how do we know that a person is not declared righteous by the works of the law? Because of the testimony of the Word of God. Because it states here very plainly that it is not by the works of the law. It's not by the keeping of the Ten Commandments that we are declared righteous. It's not by our religious activities that we are declared righteous. It's not as if God looks down from His holy tribunal in heaven and sees our religious activity and says, oh yes, because he or she has done this or that, because their motives are good and because their actions are good, therefore I declare that that person is right with God. Uh, now we, perhaps we say, well, of course we understand these things. But do we? Do we believe that God accepts us more when our works are good? If we have an inclination to think that God is more favorable towards us when our works are good, then we subtly compromise the truth of justification by faith rather than by works. And I say this because there are many, many a person in Reformed churches who are robbed to some measure of peace 
because they still think that they have to contribute something to their own justification. Maybe it's a small thing that they think they have to contribute, but there's still something that they think that they have to do in order to gain the favor of God. And if these words find the ears of someone who sits here or who listens by other means, and if you think there's something that you must do as far as your own works in order to gain the favor of God, I simply want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by your works. Your works can never, ever deal with one of your sins. Well, whose work can then? Only the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is this humility recognizing uh, that I cannot claim anything of myself or for myself. I, I have no merits. This is the humility. This is the posture uh, of the person who comes to know himself or herself. Nothing in my hand I bring. Even the best of my works are but filthy rags. But with exclusivity I rely by faith upon Christ and Him crucified. And that's what we mean by this continual reliance. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. Not by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ. Now, of course, the, the pen of the Apostle Paul is inspired, but, but notice how many times he, he drops this name, this title, Christ Jesus. He would have no one be confused, and you might say the Holy Spirit would have no one to be confused about the basis of our justification. It is in Christ Jesus alone. Only Him. Only His work. And perhaps you uh, have heard uh, the statement of Martin Luther. If he said if he had to contribute one little stitch into the garment of his righteousness, all hope would be lost. But thanks be to God that we don't even have to contribute one tiny little stitch into this figurative robe of righteousness. But Jesus Christ has done everything necessary, and He has done it perfectly, and He has done it fully, so that there is this perfect righteousness to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with exclusivity, Christian faith finds itself content and finds itself full with a crucified Christ. And we draw our attention back to a text that we uh, considered a number of weeks ago from Exodus chapter 12 uh, and the Passover and the spreading of blood upon the doorpost. And think of it this way. Nothing had to be added with the blood. Nothing else had to be added. In that text... The Lord is very clear, Exodus 12, verse 23, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. It doesn't say anything about how 
well it had been applied. It doesn't say anything about the artistic ability of the one applying the blood onto the doorpost. It doesn't say anything about the appearance of the house, the nature of those who inhabited the house. The blood was sufficient. And the blood is sufficient. There's nothing else that you need. There's nothing else that you need to do. Jesus Christ is the perfect, all-sufficient Savior by His atoning sacrifice. He declared that from the cross when He said, it is finished. And that word finished, it's a unique tense in the original language. It's a one-time definitive action that continues in all of its effects. It is finished and it always will be finished. And so when Satan comes and tempts us to despair and tells us, have you done enough? Refute him by saying, I haven't done anything. And I could never do enough to maintain a peaceful relationship between myself and my God. But Christ has done enough. He has done absolutely everything. It is enough to cover all our sins. I want to ask you this morning as a point of practical application, very, very practical application because eternity hangs in the balances. Are you resting by faith in the work of Jesus Christ? If I were to ask you, as I ask myself, what is your hope for eternity? Would you say Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Full stop. You say, is it really that simple? It is that simple. Boys and girls, the gospel, the way of salvation, it's not difficult. It's not something that only moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas can understand. You have sinned, I have sinned. You have sinned and I have sinned against a holy God. What is the answer then? Jesus Christ. Simply to His cross, we cling. And that brings a resulting confidence that we consider uh, in our third point. We believe on the testimony of Holy Scripture that an understanding of justification gives a confidence. A confidence in our conscience. The, the conscience, again boys and girls, you can think of it this way, the, the conscience is the voice of our soul. The voice of our heart. You know what your conscience is. When you do something wrong, your conscience is that inaudible, but it's there, that, that, that gut feeling that you have that you've done something wrong. Well, when we understand justification by faith alone, our conscience has confidence. Now, I want to be clear, justification is a verdict that is proclaimed once and for all by the voice of God, but it is a verdict that is heard in the soul of the Christian. 
So justification, it happens outside of me. It doesn't happen within me. Sanctification happens within me. Conversion happens within me. Faith is an activity within my soul. But justification is something that takes place entirely outside of myself. It is on the basis of an imputed righteousness that we've considered in the past number of weeks. Uh, an alien righteousness. A righteousness based upon the active and the passive obedience of Christ. But when God makes this declaration that this person, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, is righteous, the soul hears that. And the soul then of the Christian is quieted. The soul then of the Christian is comforted. Uh, you can think, and I know the analogy breaks down, all analogies always break down. You, you can think of a, of a child, a, a small child, a young child. My children are all uh, not so young anymore, but I, I know there's at least a couple little toddlers in the congregation who, who fit this analogy. They're only calm and quiet in the hands or the arms of their parents. And I dare say all of us have seen this play out. An infant child cries. But when that infant child hears the voice of its mother and is taken in the arms of its mother, not always, as any parent of newborns will testify, but often the cries are quieted. And so the soul, the soul of our persons that so often can be filled with unrest and uneasiness, so often tossed to and fro as we experience the realities of life under the sun, as we experience the realities of friction and of the impact of brokenness, when we hear Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the conscience has confidence. The confidence that is spoken of in Hebrews 10, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Well, how can I have full assurance of faith? I'll tell you this morning, the only way to have full assurance of faith is to have the entirety of your faith directed to the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Think of Peter uh, on that fateful evening uh, when Jesus walked out onto the water. And as Peter saw him, Peter was filled with confidence uh, and he stepped out of the boat and he began to walk across the water as his eyes of faith were fixed upon Jesus Christ. And you know this story well, many of you. He looked around. He took his eyes just momentarily off Jesus Christ, and he saw the wind and the waves. Well, he saw the effect of the wind, the waves. And he began to sink. Now, thanks be to God that Jesus reached out his hand and rescued Peter. But the lesson, at least in part, is this. You take your eyes of faith off Jesus Christ even for a mere moment. You'll lose the experience of that reality of peace. And so another practical point of application, don't take the eyes of your faith off of Jesus Christ. Don't look for a fig leaf or two and try to add that to the garment of righteousness that Jesus Christ has accomplished. Don't say, I am justified by faith and don't ever put that and 
It dishonors God. It insults Christ. And it robs you of your peace. Those who are justified by faith have a confidence. A confidence as they appear before God. Ultimately, in the final judgment in eternity. Imagine just for a moment how the scene will unfold. God in His infinite holiness. Surrounded by pure angelic beings who have to cover their eyes in the presence of His glory. And there you are. And there I am. What will our plea be? Nothing of ourselves. But when God enters into judgment with us, our confidence is this, that Jesus Christ has already made a perfect satisfaction. And we rest in that by faith. So that when God looks at the Christian, He sees Christ. And He sees the work of Christ. And there is the complete forgiveness of sins. And there is the gift of a perfect righteousness. And just imagine the blessedness for all of eternity to hear the echo in the ears of our soul. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There is a contrast to that, you know. Those who do not have faith, those who do not rely on Jesus Christ, will hear in their ears, echoing for eternity, depart from me. But today is the day of grace, and so today the glad tidings of the gospel go out to any and all who hear. The way of salvation is simple. It is clear. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl is justified or made right with God by the works of the law. But rather, we are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you this morning that salvation does not depend upon what we do. For we acknowledge that even the best of our works are filthy rags. Even our understanding of the gospel is imperfect. And so we thank you that our justification does not depend upon our understanding, but that it depends entirely upon the work of Jesus Christ. Clarify these truths within our minds that the hearts of your people might be comforted and that your great work of redemption might be exalted among us. And Lord, especially for hearts and souls that may be tossed and tried, troubled, we pray that you would calm them, grant them peace, the experience of peace, uh, that comes from knowing that Jesus Christ is a perfect and complete Savior. We ask this in His name. Amen.